That was so very cool. Um, I'll tell you what's not cool is um, Justin's uh, holiday tradition of taking his family to go see lights. I, I grabbed him on the way out as he jumped off the stage, and I said, what, where is it that you go? He says, Longview Lake. I take my family there every year. Do you remember him saying that from the stage? Hey, that's false advertising. I, I just want to tell you, how many of you go to Longview Lake and do, do that? Um, if you do, what's that? Yeah, four hours. So, so I have a friend, Nick, who when our three now teenage daughters were babies in diapers, three car seats, the whole thing, he said, we took our family there. It was fantastic. It was better than Branson. It was on par with Disney, 300,000 lights. It's amazing. I said, really, Nick? He said, it's amazing. I said, should I take my whole family? He goes, you absolutely should. So I sell my wife on it. She's a little skeptical. And uh, I finally convinced him, like, Nick says, Nick, sa- Nick says it's amazing, we should go. So we get in the minivan, and we, you know, we pin in our, our girls. It, I mean, that itself is a feat. And we, we hit, head out on the highway, we are on, what is it, is it 470, whatever. And before we're even off the, like, off 470, cars are starting to slow. And then pretty soon, it's dead stop, and it's just inch by inch by inch by hour by hour. We're in it. Someone said four hours. We're there. We're low on gas. And diapers. No, no, I mean, our girls were fine, but my wife and I, we were struggling, right? And, and now it's like, we've never been. We don't know this part of town. And we're like, how far is this? And so I'm calling Nick. I'm like, Nick, this thing, this place you told me, like, wh- wh- I'm like, I see a shed. It has a couple of lights. Is that it? I don't. He's like, no, Dan, you got to turn right and it goes around. You'll see some light in the sky. I'm like, I see no light in the sky. And my wife is now really mad at me and my girls are asleep. And finally, we, we, we arrive, and we're in the middle of this slow driving thing through a bunch of little, you know, blinking lights, and one of my daughters wakes up, and she looks out the window, and she says, Daddy, are we almost there? We're in it. And I say, honey, we are there. We're there, honey. We're here. And I look over at my wife, and she's not even looking at me. She's not even talking to me. And, and it begs this question, who can you trust in this world? I mean, for Justin to come up on stage and offer this, for my friend Nick, I mean, we felt deceived. And it begs the question for us this morning, today, wherever you are, I want to give greetings to all of you here all of you up there, all of you anywhere experiencing this online, the question is, as Jeremiah says in uh, this beautiful kind of first part of the Bible, he's a prophet, he asks in Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16, when you stand at the crossroads and look, ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Such a beautiful image. When you stand at the crossroads, you want to know what, what, where that ancient path is. And see, back in biblical times, paths could be kind of trampled upon, you know, they could be grown over, new paths could come. Now we just concrete over the old paths, right? We used to have this thing called Route 66, no longer. We have highways, byways, overpasses, the whole thing. But back in that day, the ancient path could kind of be overgrown. You weren't quite sure. I see new, you know, pounding of footsteps going this way, and the, the path seems to be trampled this way or, or pat, pant, uh, patted down. But where is that ancient path? And who do you ask to find, and I just love this, 
where the good way is, where the good way is. The kind that Jeremiah goes on to say, where you will find rest for your souls if you find that ancient path. And I just wonder how many of us are right now just in this place in our lives where we're trying to find the good way. We're trying to find that place, that path that leads to rest and not more anxiety. I know for me right now, I'm asking for the good way with one of my daughters and the friendships that she's in. I just am troubled about it. And I wanna know what's the ancient path. For the business that I, I own and lead, get to kind of speak on the side, but run full time a business and it's like, where's the economy going? <laughs> what's the good path that will give me a sense of, of rest here? And some of you maybe have been and or are at, at a place of crossroads where you're like, I feel the weight of my, the world on my shoulders about a decision I need to make. Uh, I remember dating my wife and we dated for about a year and I remember just like so, being so afraid of, of getting it wrong, of making the wrong decision. It was stupid, I mean, my wife is like awesome now, but I remember being in that place of going, I have a massive life decision or being at my last post where I was a lead pastor for 15 years at a church down in uh, south of the river where um, I just felt like something was bringing me to a crossroads and it was confusing and it was confounding. It's like, where is the good path? I wanna walk in it and I need rest in my soul because there's so much turmoil, there's so much angst, there's so much just like you, you feel alone with the weight of the decision, so who do you go to? Who do you ask? Can't be Justin. <laughs> it's not my friend Nick, right? I mean, we live in a society today that says, well, you go online. And there's this thing online, uh, these people, and they're called influencers, right? Now, they might be filled with all sorts of charisma or charm, but uh, the life of an influencer is, how do I get more and more people to like me so I ultimately can get paid by advertisers for, for my worth? I mean, if you just step back and go, the influencers that we like, it's like, how much time have they really dedicated to thinking about true wisdom? Like, what, how much substance are they really offering me here today that's gonna lead me to that ancient path to the good way that I wanna walk in and it's gonna give me rest? And whether it's just scrolling from TikTok to TikTok to YouTube, you know, like where do you find and who do you go to? One good news is that therapy has gone up 8.8% in the last five years. I actually thought that would be um, a lot higher. Yeah, that actually is a good thing, that people are seeking um, wisdom and they're, they're, they're inviting others who know how to navigate some of those subterranean levels of the soul. And so we're, we're grateful for that. Um, but most of us, we're, we're not even willing to do that. We'll ask a friend. I have a friend, um, this is growing up. This is back in the days when there wasn't GPS where you'd ask somebody for directions if you were lost. You'd literally pull, like your, you'd roll your window down and you'd ask somebody. I mean, how scary does that sound? I mean, like our, our younger generation are like, you do what? You know, like you, you, you know, you would actually talk to people. 
even strangers. And you'd say, hey, I'm lost. How do you get there? So I have a friend, Jay Herrera, who uh, he just made a practice when anyone asked him directions at a red light, you know, kind of thing. You go, oh, oh yeah, to- I know exactly where to go. So what you do is you're going to go straight down here and at the third light, you're going to turn right, okay? The, and you'll see a little Taco Bell right there. You good? Yeah, yeah, good. Okay. And then you're going to make a quick left and then it's going to wrap you around the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the bread shop there. You good? Yeah, great. Okay. Now you're going to um, take that about three miles, but then you got to do this U-turn, okay? And then you're going to have to kind of shoot across. You with me? They're like, I'm with you. And he's just waiting for the light to turn green because when the light turns green, okay, you good? You good? All right, what you're looking for? It's nowhere near there. And then he takes off. I know. He's not my friend any longer, see? See, there are some who maybe mean well. There are some who may be motivated by advertising. There are some who are just outright, downright evil. And Isaiah another prophet around a similar time in biblical history. He's a prophet to the southern part of Israel. It's called Judah. And he has a really interesting, challenging message to bear. And it's basically this. I want to challenge you on, I want to counsel you on how you seek counsel. That's what it's about. I want to counsel you on how and who you seek counsel. So you can look with me here at Isaiah chapter 8, verse 19. When they, when others say to you, consult the mediums and the spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people consult their God? Should they consult the dead on behalf of the living? So what's going on in Isaiah's time? Well, uh, the... Uh, the whole, all the Israelites, they had a little civil war and they're now broken out into there's a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom has already fallen. The southern kingdom, under the uh, very poor and inept leadership of King Ahaz, has kind of, they've brokered a treaty with Assyria and they're now like a puppet state. And so to have lived in the, the time that, that Isaiah is talking about, you would feel pretty vulnerable socially. Where do I fit now as these Assyrians are encroaching? So there's kind of social vulnerability. There's also moral bankruptcy. And then materially, financially, there's all sorts of like weird things happening and more importantly, spiritually. There's all of these pagan practices, polytheistic, syncretic beliefs about all sorts of different pagan idols and gods. And now they're trying these people, they're Jews, they believe in one God, the living God, and everything's gotten super convoluted. Does this sound interestingly, eerily familiar to you? About a place and a people and a nation that um, are losing their way. They're standing at the crossroads. There's moral bankruptcy. There's social vulnerability. There's material uncertainty from a financial perspective. There's spiritual decay and all sorts of different influencers. Sound familiar? So um, guess how much as an industry the psychic industry makes about right now? $2.2 billion really began to find its ascendancy um, during the Great Recession uh, of 08 and 09. And it's been on a steady climb since. I'm actually, again, surprised that COVID didn't exacerbate 
those numbers, but $2.2 billion of, whether it's horoscopes or, you know, mediums and spiritists, like Isaiah says. Now, part of that actually doesn't trouble me all that much. Actually, it could be a, an interesting indicator because it says to me that there is that hunger that just won't go away in us. You know, as the, as the scripture says this beautiful thing, that eternity is set in your heart. Like there's something that in you is like this beacon. It's just constantly asking for something more than what you can see, taste, touch, and feel. It's seeking for the transcendent, eternity. This like forevermore thing is in you and it won't go away. You just get really lost at the crossroads about who to ask and whether it will actually lead you to the good way, to a place of true, true rest. And so there's, a, there's just, there's billions really of people who are hungering for the goodness that's beyond them. They just don't know how to find it. And actually there's so much pain wrapped up in their lives that they'll do anything. Now, there's, um, there's a friend of mine who lost his brother at a really young age to cancer and his parents today are seeking psychics to try to talk to their lost son. I get it. I couldn't imagine losing a child. Couldn't imagine being in that place of pain and so desperately wanting to reach to something beyond you. So if you're there or you find yourself there, I just wanna say, it's the right hunger but let's just make sure that as you stand at that crossroads, you're gonna invite in counsel that leads you along the good path, the one that truly leads you to a place of rest for your souls. And how do you know? Like, the, the scriptures say this, hey, not that there's no other spirits or spiritual things. The Bible's really clear. No, there are lots of different spirits, but you need to test those spirits to know that you're following the spirit of the living God. How do we do that? Well, Isaiah continues on in this path. We'll just go to the very next verse. Here's what he says. How do we know? Uh, a different translation says, to God's instruction. That's how we know. To the law and to the testimony, to the scriptures. If they do not, if these spiritists and mediums and friends and influencers and horoscopes and YouTubes and TikToks, and if, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because, and this is powerful, they have no dawn. Did you hear that in the song? It's always darkest before the dawn. Well, if you, at the crossroads, if you choose the wrong path and receive the wrong counsel, you'll get to a place where there's just, as Isaiah will, will write even further, there's just fearful and dreaded gloom, and there is no dawn. You'll back yourself into the darkest of cul-de-sacs and not know how to get out. So how do we know? Well, man, we're just, we're, we, we're just living in this such a highly subject, subjective, relativistic, you get to choose your own truth, reality. And it's a pill that we're swallowing to our own demise. When we get to select our own truth, Man, 
And I hear that, I see that in our younger generations. Like, hey, you get to choose just whatever. When we, we so as a, as a nation, biblical illiteracy is just, it's just run rampant. It's uh, something like a, a third of all Americans never even read the Bible like once. Uh, I believe it's half don't even know that Genesis is the first book of the Bible. Now, by the way, you might be there. We're just so glad you're here. We're just giving a sense of diagnosis to when there are spiritual mediums and spiritists and influencers and TikToks and there's all those things and they actually might offer you something good. How do you know? By what do you base it on? And if you don't have any form of grounding in the scriptures, well, then what are you left with? How do you know? How do you choose if it's the good way or the way that leads to destruction and and a life where you go, I'm not sure there's actually any dawn ahead of this gloom. How do we know? Well, I'll, I'll tell you what we're left with. We're left with receiving whatever counsel or instruction that we like. We're left with our own preferences and sensibilities and our own just, whether or, do I like that? I like that, right? There's gotta be a better way. Because there have been many crossroads I've stood at before, literally, like two different paths. I'm like, that one's uphill. That one's downhill. Hmm, right? You wanna take the path of least resistance. But it was that one that actually was gonna lead me to the good way and to the better way. If we're just left to choose with the little that we know about all truth and about all the world, if we're just left to our own devices there, We're just gonna choose the easy way, not the right way. We're gonna choose the way that just kind of jives and vibes with the way that I think, and oh my gosh, we'll just be chasing our tail. There is this thing called truth, and it's not subjective. Now, in the words of C.S. Lewis, he goes, hey, there is this like capital T truth, and no one has a monopoly on it. The scriptures say that that as as it relates to truth that we see through like a window or a mirror, and it's like kind of fuzzy. So no one has it perfectly captured, but some are closer to it than others, C.S. Lewis says. Some are closer to it, so, so let's find somebody that can help us. Truth really, really matters. You know how I know truth really matters to our culture still? NFL replays. You ever thought about that? I mean, like within a millimeter was his foot on the line. Oh, we better check. Oh, let's just slow everything down. Why? Because truth matters here. We got to know. And then just like every sport is going to be like that. Soon it's going to be in pickleball. I know it. It's coming. <laughs> right? Truth matters. Now, why does it matter? It matters because of the gambling industry. That's a whole nother conversation. That's why it matters. But it matters, and how do we know? And if with left to our own devices, with our own preferential sensibilities, it leads to this place, Isaiah says, where we're stuck with going, uh, I don't think there's a dawn. And he goes on to describe this even more. He says this, I believe in verse 21, that those of us will pass through the land hard-pressed and famished, not funny. We're going in search of truth. That's that which will uh, nourish our souls and will be left hungry. You know what he's saying? It's like cotton candy. When you eat cotton candy, first of all, the texture really freaks me out. But secondly, right, you put it in your mouth. It's really sweet. But what goes down your throat? 
It's just like evaporates, and you end up with a stomach ache later. And our world wants to give you just this stick of, of cotton candy and say, here's the best steak ever, and it's a lie. You'll be left hard-pressed and famished, and it will turn out that when you're hungry, and this is fascinating, you'll be enraged, and you'll curse your, your leadership, but you'll also curse your God as you face upward. And we see this time and time again. People whose lives, they, they stand at the crossroads and they choose a path of their own choosing and it doesn't go well and then they blame God for it. Now, I want to be really careful and clear, like sometimes life is just hard and sometimes things come at us and we had nothing to do with the outcome that is pain and that is suffering. I want to be clear about that. But there's also this reality where we just want to do our own thing, and when it doesn't work out, we go, God, where were you? Where were you? How come? I can't believe in a God that would allow this. When this was me choosing my own path and in my own way, and people bring polemics against a God that they've never followed or invited into their life, and I, the, here's the challenging part. Could that be you right now? Could you be blaming God for something where he might just be going, you know what, I, I, I want so much more for you. I've always wanted so much more for you. I have so much more for you. I'll receive your blame, but if you'd ask, then I wanna, I wanna lead you into a new dawn, and that, that's what Isaiah's crescendoing to. We're gonna jump ahead here from, from uh, the prior chapter of, of eight, we're gonna to come to nine with these th- three little, th- little three-letter word, which is so beautiful. But, but, here's all the bad news, but there will be no more gloom for her, her who was in anguish. In earlier times, He treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt, but later on, he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, very interesting. And uh, actually, I wanna just read a little further. It's not gonna be up here, but just listen to this. Uh, Let's see, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light, On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. There is no more doom. There is a light coming ahead for you. So this is written about 600 years before Jesus is born. There are, depending on how you count, there's roughly about 300 references in the first part of the Bible, often called the Old Testament. 300 different little phrases, scriptures, passages that point to what's going to happen when Jesus arrives. This is one of them. And if we're not careful, we're going to miss something really, really interesting. Uh, let's, let's come back if we can. Let's just pull up the same passage we were just looking at here. The verse 1 and 2. So when he treated the land of Zebulun, do you know what Zebulun is? And he talks about Naphtali. Well, I want to show you. So let's, let's pull this up on a, on a map if we can, okay? So you remember how I said there was this civil war 
And now God's people, they've been split in two. There's the northern kingdom. You see that up there? And then there's the southern kingdom. Now, you see Jerusalem is in what's called Judah, okay? So that's where all, like, the power base is. Jerusalem, obviously, um, is where the temple was and all of these things. So, so that's, like, the power base. Now, the northern kingdom um, is, uh, where is Zebulun? Well, you see that little body of water up at the top? That's the Sea of Galilee. Just to the west is Zebulun. Guess what town is in Zebulun? Nazareth. Nazareth. And if you just go above that to the top part of the, the Sea of Galilee is Capernaum. That's Naphtali. What's Naphtali? Naphtali is a region in which Capernaum, that's where Jesus based and operated his ministry out of. Okay, so let's go back to the passage. Let's read it one more time. By the way, Matthew references it as he's setting up his story in the second part of the Bible. Uh, so he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. Why? Because it wasn't Jerusalem. It wasn't the thriving metropolis. It wasn't the power center. But up there from the weeds, right? From Overland Park comes, just kidding. I'm just, just know there, there's the north-south kind of border issues we have here too, right? So uh, from Zebulun and Naphtali, but later on shall make it glorious by the way of the sea. The Galilee of the Gentiles will come. And now we really see it unfold in verse six. For unto us a child is born. A son will be given. Remember this 600 years before. And the government, love this word, will rest. Wouldn't that be awesome? On his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There'll be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and to uphold it with, oh man, these two words, so beautiful. Justice, making broken things right. Righteousness, taking broken relationship and making it whole. Right relationship from then on and forevermore. Love this word, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. What does zeal mean? Zeal has a really negative connotation today, right? Don't be too zealous. Zeal means an exclusivity of relationship. God at his core longs to stand with you at the crossroads. He longs to not only point and say, well, there's the good way, walk in it. He wants to walk with you in it. He wants to be in relationship with you. He has a zeal about these things and exclusivity of relationship. When you consult the mediums and the spiritists and the TikToks and the influencers and the Jay Herreras who are going to send you just in loops and chase your own tail. No, God's like going, man, something breaks in me for you about that because I long to be with you. Yes, as your mighty God, I want to bring you strength in your weakness. Yes, as your everlasting father, I want just the affection of me, God says, as your papa, just to flow from heaven to you. Yes, I want you to have a deep peace, a shalom, a rest for your souls. And I want to be your wonderful counselor. What does that mean? What does that mean? Is it a guy, Dr. Switzer, who just shouts at you, stop it? 
Love that video. And much apologies to all of our um, health and wellness uh, professionals <laughs> who are sitting there going, oh, this is why people don't call. As one who's um, undergone many different seasons and places of therapy, I just want to tell you, there are many wonderful counselors um, that are doing such beautiful work. Now, what is it in the biblical language, in the Hebrew, what does wonderful counselor mean? So I looked it up. It means wonderful counselor. So that wasn't a lot of help, so I called a wonderful counselor of mine, one that I have seen. His name is Dr. Todd Fry. He, he directs the um, Family and Marriage Counseling Center at Mid-America Nazarene University. I said, Todd, what does a wonderful counselor do? You know what he said? He said, Dan, it's three things. A wonderful counselor sees you. A wonderful counselor hears you, and a wonderful counselor feels you. I said, well, what about the advice part? Well, that would be secondary, Dan, to someone who sees you, hears you, and feels you. What do we see with Dr. Switzer? No seeing. No hearing, no feeling, just a lot of talking at. Some of us think God is that way. Some of us think if I give my life to God who describes himself as a wonderful counselor, he's just going to point the finger and shout louder. Oh, no, no, no. Because you see, 600 years later, Jesus did enter as a child. And then as a grown man, he came and what did he do? Well, he saw you. He heard you, and he felt you. Just like the woman who was a widow already and then lost her eldest and only son. And there was a, there was a procession going through the streets, and they're carrying him on what's called the bier, B-I-E-R. It's, it's like a casket, but it's open. And Jesus, it says, saw her and said, woman, don't cry. He saw her. And he touched the beer and healed the son. Jesus wasn't invited to a real fancy schmancy kind of dinner with a real religious elite guy who was full, full of all of his own crap and thought he was a big wig and the whole thing. Invites Jesus over. It's really a big test. And he completely snuffs Jesus and, and, and kind of embarrasses Jesus through the whole experience. Well, there's this woman who sees this all happening and she's just ripped up inside by the way that they're treating Jesus. And so she interrupts the whole thing so that he could be treated properly. And she, she begins to anoint his head and his feet, and it's just this really kind of awkward but amazing moment. And this religious guy, his name is Simon, he's standing back there and he goes, well, if this guy who considers himself a prophet, if Jesus considers himself a prophet, then he would know just who this woman is, where she's come from, and how this is so uncouth and so unacceptable, and Jesus knows he's thinking it, and says... I believe the scripture says, he looks at her and says to him, Simon, do you see this woman? Do you see beyond her rap sheet? 
Do you see down to her heart? Do you see the, the fullness of her story? To another woman who was a hunchback for 18 years, she had extreme uh, back pain. I've been dealing with that right now. Jesus saw her and healed her. To a blind man sitting outside the city gate, which is where the only place he could find folks to throw money into his coffer, he heard that Jesus was coming, he began shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And everyone else, and Jesus' disciples included, were like, shut up, shut up. Don't bother the rabbi. Jesus heard him stopped and asked, what do you want me to do for you? Is that a wonderful counselor? In the din of everyone shouting at a city gate where there's just throngs of people, he hears, he stops, he invites in. On another occasion, Jesus' friend Lazarus dies. Lazarus had two sisters. They're really mad at Jesus because he showed up late. They're like, if you had gotten here on time, you could have healed our brother. Jesus is led outside of this tomb cave, and it says that he is overwhelmed with emotion, like he loses it. If you look in the original, he loses it. And it says that he wept, but it's not like, one little tear, one little Hollywood tear. No, he, it's just like he wept and he wept and he wept and he was overcome with emotion. Jesus sees you, Jesus hears you, Jesus feels you to the point where he's walking on to go heal someone else's daughter and all the crowd is pressing in on him and one woman who had been bleeding for years upon years and she'd been set outside the camp because why? She was unclean, but she just said, I don't care anymore, doctors, they're not doing anything for me. The religious leaders, they're not doing anything for me. I'm gonna push my way through. And she says, if I just can touch him, just the little tassels of his robe, then maybe I'll be healed. And so as everyone's pressing, it's like Jesus is a boxer entering into, you know, into the arena and everyone's pushing and got people all around him. And this little woman just comes in and grabs the little tassel and Jesus stops and says, who touched me? It says he felt power emanating from him. He felt her physically. He felt the pain of Lazarus' friends around him and for his own sake. So much so that he said, Lazarus, come out. And he came back alive. Jesus sees you. He hears you. He feels you. Where do you need that today? Where do you need a friend? It's really what we're talking about. Counselors will tell you, Dr. Larry Crabb, in fact, would say, the 90% of our ailments that we go see a therapist for would be solved if we just had a good friend. And Jesus is a friend. He calls us friends. He also says, I'm gonna offer you the Holy Spirit and that Holy Spirit will be your friend after I ascend to heaven. Look with me here. I'm telling you these things while I'm still living with you, he says to his best friends. The friend, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send at my request, will make everything plain to you. He will remind you of all the things I've told you. I'm leaving you well and whole. 
That's my parting gift to you. Peace. I don't leave you the way you're used to being left, feeling abandoned and bereft. So don't be upset. Don't be distraught. See, Jesus stands with you at the crossroads. And whatever you're carrying, whatever you're bearing, whatever you've pushed down and just try to just, if you can just keep it beneath the surface, whatever decision, wherever you feel like there's no dawn for a relationship, for our world, for a decision related to your job or anything else, Jesus stands with you at the crossroads and he says, come to me when you're weary, when you're totally stressed out, and you shall find what? He literally says, you'll find rest for your souls. So I just wanna lead us in a moment of prayer where we just invite him to join us at whatever your crossroads are. And so just whatever feels comfortable for you to receive this moment and enter in, could be to close your eyes, could be to take your hands and just place them on your lap in a really just kind of subtle way, but just open up your palms as a physical gesture that, yeah, eternity is set in your heart. You want more. You just want the right kind of more. And so, Holy Spirit, we know that you come to us as a friend today, not in judgment, but with zeal. You really care. You really want an exclusivity of relationship. You wanna be our counselor, and we wanna call you wonderful, so we invite you in now. Where do you just need to be seen? Maybe you feel overlooked. Maybe you feel looked past. Maybe you feel like a wallflower. Maybe you feel like someone else has been chosen over you. I want you to know that your Father in heaven sees you. He sees you. Where do you need to be heard? Been crying out. You're not sure God is listening. You're not sure others are listening. Your voice has been undermined or silenced. want to tell you with a full confidence in all that is true in heaven, I believe that Jesus hears you in the den of everyone else pushing and grabbing and 
talking over you, I want you to know he hears your still, small voice. He hears it like a roar. And he says to you, say more, my child. Say more. You have a voice, use it. I can hear it loud and clear. Where do you need to just know that God feels what you feel? It's been a long year for you. You're not sure that there is a dawn right now. Where do you need to know that he feels what you feel? I want you to know that the Lord Jesus sits with you in solidarity in your pain. I want you to know that he absorbed the greatest pain on the cross on your behalf. He knows pain well, and he hurts with you. He feels it deeply. He's not afraid of it. He also knows that it won't have the last word in your life, this pain. Whether it's physical, emotional, psychological, spiritual, relational, this pain will not be the last word on your life. Jesus wants you well. And he sits with you. He sees you, he hears you, and he feels you. Not as a great teacher, not just as a great moral leader, but as the one who died, the one who rose, the one who ascended and today sits on the throne as our living God. And we pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.